0: Last few weeks, we've been having a, we've been developing an understanding of the Word of God in regard to its authority. Several weeks ago, we began with what you see over here on the board. We've already covered this material. We started out showing that Christ has all authority. He don't have some authority. He's not the little fellow on the block. He has all authority. As Psalms 2 declared, God has set his son upon his holy hill of Zion and made him king. And he told his son, he said, ask of me the heathen and I will give him for thine inheritance. And the uttermost part of the earth is thy footstool. And so this world is not chaotically running at its own pace. It runs according to the direction and the counsel of the Almighty God. It is true that sometimes he allows ungodly kings to rule. And because Nebuchadnezzar come to learn in the fourth chapter of Daniel, in verse 34, that God is the one who sets up kings. He's the one who brings them down. He does according to his bidding in the armies of heaven, and no man stays his hand of action or calls him into question as to what he does. And so this, rule, this world, you may look upon it and you don't see any uh, order or form to it. But God allows wicked kings because those wicked kings teach us and show us our fallacy. They began to waken us up to the reality of what we set in office. By his grace, he's allowed us to do that. And so God rules, whether we see it or not, He rules. And so Christ has all authority. There's not an ounce of authority. There's not a piece of authority. There's not any authority that He doesn't rule over. He's bringing this world to its consummation, whenever the end comes, whenever that is. Whenever that day is, it's declared on God's calendar that says very clearly, He's appointed a day. Does that tell you that he's took his pen and marked a day? It does. Don't know when it is, don't know where it's at, but it's on his calendar. He is appointed a day in which he will judge this world in righteousness by that man whom he's ordained, wherein he's given assurance unto all men and that he raised him from the dead, as it speaks of Jesus. And so Christ has all authority. Well, so what? So he's got all authority. What do you do with that authority? Where is that authority vested? It's vested in His Word. And that was the second lesson that we had. All authority that Christ has is vested in His Word. Jesus in John 12, verse 48, made it very clear. He said to the Jews, The words I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. And he that rejects me and receives not my word, As one that judges him, the very word I've spoken the same should judge him in the last day. That's why Jesus could claim to be the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And no man, absolutely no man comes unto the Father, but by him, that's the authority he has. And so Jesus has all authority. He's vested all of his authority in his word. That's what will judge us in the last day. And uh, so that authoritative word he gave to apostles. You wouldn't know about it unless the apostles made it known. Because in John 14 verse 25 and 26. In John 16 verse 12 and 13. On those two occasions Jesus promised the apostles and them only. To receive the miraculous endowment of the spirit. To guide him into all the truth. You and I are inspired by the word, but our inspiration comes by perspiration. Theirs came by divine will, by inspiration of God. These men were chosen specifically. You haven't been chosen to be an apostle as they have. In John 15 verse 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me as he spoke to those 12 men. He said, I'm the one who made a choice. I chose you. In verse 27 of that same chapter, he told them what he chose them for, to receive the Holy Spirit that would guide them into all the truth and to go into all the world and make it known. And that's why we have a record of it right here. This is the word of God, the will of God, the way of God. It's been declared by the apostles who was chosen by the Lord. And so Jesus, having all authority, and in all authority in his word, it'll judge us, he gave it to the apostles to guide them into all the truth as they made known what God wanted made known. And we have a record of it. Well, what about this word? What what power does it have? Well, we saw that in the next lesson, didn't we? The all-sufficiency of that word, is it sufficient for all of our needs, or is it weak in any area? Well, John 20, verse 30 to 31, John tells us why he wrote those 20 chapters. It's strange, an author doesn't do that necessarily, he always gives you in the preface to his letter or his book, he'll tell you why he wrote it. John waited till he got to the end of it to tell you why he wrote it. John 20, 30, and 31. He said, Truly many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. It's not written in this book. But these are written in this book that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Oh, so these things were written uh, in a sufficient way to make sure of my <coughs> credibility of my belief in my salvation. If you guys knew what was really in this, you would <laughs> be a rush up here. <laughs> and I'd have to fight you off. <laughs> Anyway, we studied the sufficiency of that word. It's sufficient to everything that we need. Well, let's carry that a little further this morning. As we go into the lesson this morning in regard to the respect that God demands for His word. There will not be one person saved outside of His word. And so it is imperative that we know what His word is. But I want, to imp- I want the scriptures to impress you this morning on that authoritative word and the fact that God demands respect for that word. And so let's begin over here in 1 Peter 4.1, and I'm going to follow this outline this morning, and hopefully I'll get through it <laughs> without going too much on overtime. In 1 Peter 4.1, the scripture says, If any man speak, let him speak as the very oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, to this intent that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't need to comment very much on that. If a man speaks, he better make sure that he's speaking the Word of God. And there's men out here who are charlatans that is not speaking the Word of God. They stand in the pulpits and they preach man's doctrine, just like the Jews did in Jesus' day. As Jesus told the Jews, you teach for doctrine the commandments of men. They had screwed up the Word of God so bad in their interpretation. That they was judging Jesus and the apostles repeatedly. They condemned him for eating with unwashed hands, according to their understanding of the law. They condemned him for picking corn on the Sabbath day, according to the law of Moses, their understanding of it. And Jesus repeatedly had to explain to them what the law was saying, because they had screwed it up with the teachings of men. No wonder Peter said, Beloved, believe not every spirit. John 4, uh, uh, John said that in John four one, believe, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? For many false prophets have went out here in this world, and so we try them with the word of God, because Jesus declared in John twelve, uh, John uh, seventeen seventeen, as he prayed to his Father. He said, Father, sanctify the believer through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're sanctified. We're set apart by the word of God. It's the one that separates us, and it's that word that we search to make sure that these charlatans out here is not leading us astray. He charged Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 4. He said, uh, uh, he said I charge you, Timothy, before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and quick the dead at his appearing. You preach the word, and you be instant about it in season and out of season. That means when they like it and when they don't like it. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, he said, with all long suffering and doctrine. And here's why. He said, For the time will come when men will not endure sound teaching, but will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and be turned away from the truth and the fables. And that's what we got standing in the pulpit today. It's men who have no regard for the Word of God. They've made a career out of it. They're getting rich off of it. They're feeding their own uh, glorification of themselves rather than teaching and preaching the Word of God. But there's a severe warning. The fact that God demands respect for His Word. You don't toy with the Word of God. If you speak, you speak as the oracles of God. If you minister, you do it according to his ability that he's given to the intent that God may be glorified in all things. In First Corinthians 4 and verse 6, Paul said, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Do not think of men above that which is written. What does the world do in a denominational scene? Oh, he's pastor. He's priest. He's oh, and we elevate men. We place men on pedestals that have no right to even stand on, because we're all brethren. You're my brothers and sisters, and I'm yours. I'm your brother, not your sister. But
1: that
0: didn't need to be clarified, did it? <laughs> Uh, Just in case somebody was sleeping on me. (laughs) (laughs) And Paul said, the reason for this, I've transferred these, these things unto myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. You know what division does? It puffs up one against another. It separates, it divides. And it will destroy a church in any community when division existed. You see, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. And that was their problem that he was made aware of. And the first problem that he attacked in the first chapter, verse 10. He said, beloved, I beseech you to speak the same things. Be of the same mind, the same judgment. Was they? No. What was the problem? He said, because the house of Coles made known to me the fact that you're divided. Some of you are over here saying you're of Paul and others of Apollos and others of Cephas and others of Christ. You're all divided and puffed up one against another. And then he goes into the letter and he, he says right here, I've used myself and Apollos to show you not to think of any man above that which is the word of God. We follow the word of God. We don't follow men. What I say to you is my faith. That I'm declaring came from the Word of God, but you'll not know that until you make it your faith by studying the Word of God. God help you if you follow me or any man. You can benefit from me and other men, but don't follow them. And that's what Paul's saying. That you don't get puffed up as though you was something special because you follow Merle or Paul or Apollos, like it was doing in Corinth. In Galatians one, verse six through nine, we see the continuation in the explanation that we do not uh, that we uh, that God demands respect for His word. Here it is. Now, Galatia was not just one congregation; it's a country, kind of like the state of Washington. There was many churches in Galatia. Look at your Bible map sometime and notice that in Galatians. The first chapter in verse 2, I think it is. He addressed this letter to the churches in Galatia. Alright, so he's not writing to one congregation, he's writing to a bunch of them. False teachers followed behind Paul. As he established churches by the authority of God, he moved on to establish churches throughout Asia Minor. And behind him came the Jews. And they seductively convinced those brethren that Paul, bless his heart, just didn't have time to tell you all of it. It's glad that you—we're glad you obeyed Christ, but you've also got to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. Well, I'd come to a head in John in Acts the 15th chapter where they had a conference about that and proved that to be a lie. But nevertheless, that's what they were doing, and so they had been perverted. The gospel that Paul preached earlier and had uh, established these churches is now perverted. And he writes to him with this message I marvel, that means I'm amazed. I'm in shock as I look at this problem here amongst you. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that has called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. which is not another. But you see, there be some that trouble you, and they would pervert the gospel of Christ. And Paul's warning here, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. Do you know of anybody that claims an angel come down and preach to him? Yeah. We're living right in the hellhole of them. They're called Mormons. And I don't mind calling them out by name. That's what they are. Bless their hearts. I'd preach the gospel to them in a minute. I'd go the limit with them trying to teach them the truth. But still in all, they've been deceived. And they're the ones who have accepted another gospel which is not another. It's been perverted. And that's what happened here in Galicia. So he says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have res- uh, has been preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. So Paul puts a double emphasis on this. He said, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received past tense, 2,000 years ago, let him be accursed. So again, we see the authority and the respect that God demands for his word. God demands respect to his word. He will not tolerate anybody adding to it. If you can't find it in the word of God, you better leave it alone. Instrumental music is not found in the Word of God when it comes to the New Testament covenant. It's not there. Never has been, never will be. It's condemned and damned and doomed. We don't have time to go into that. I'd love to. We don't right now. Maybe in private, you want to call me and talk to me about it? I'd love to. But God will not stand for any addition to His Word. Listen to some scripture on this. 2 John 9 and 10. Well, I'll take you through verse eleven. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, he has not God. Pretty clear, isn't it? Don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth God's feet is partakers of his evil deeds. Revelation 22 and verse 18 as the New Testament closes out in that profound revelation of the power and the might of Almighty God as He rules among the nations. Listen to what it says in the last few verses. We're looking particularly at verse... Chapter 22, verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God will add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. That is serious. He will not tolerate any addition to his word. Proverbs 30 and verse 6. Even in the Old Testament, God was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same. He does not change. Uh, Malachi 3 and verse 6. I, Jehovah, change not. So in the Old Testament, you expect to see the same principle applied, shouldn't you? We do in Proverbs 30 and verse 6. It says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And so you have the burden to to know whether these men lie to you, whether I'm lying to you or not. That's what Peter said. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try those spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have went out here into the world. He said many false prophets have went out here in this world. Did you hear him? Did you hear him? And boy, they wear some fancy clothes, don't they? And their collar turned around backward. And don't they look important and impressive? We don't follow men. God help you if you follow a man. You follow the Christ. The Son of God. And you can benefit from men like the church at Thessalonica. uh, In the book of Acts it says they were more noble than those in in Berea because they, they heard the word gladly. As you're hearing it from me. And they went home and searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. And I hope that's what you do. You put your faith in men, boy, you're a loser. Men are losers. Read Romans one verse eighteen through three and verse twenty. And you'll be convinced whether you're Jew or Gentile. You failed, failed, failed. You always will fail. You're number six. You're one number short of seven, which is a complete number. That's why we looked to God. That's why He had to come and make a sacrifice for us. Couldn't do it on our own. We were the wretched man of Romans 7, verse 24, that acknowledged the law of God was good, but saw another war, uh, law in our members warring against the law of our mind, and in doing so, it brought us into captivity to a law that said, if you sin, you die. And that man was wretched, worn out. He said so in verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin and death? And so Paul, in his argument, he burst forth in the next verse with thanksgiving. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, God demands respect for His Word, and He'll not allow any addition to it, nor any subtraction or substitution for it. Now, let's look at some passages that prove that. And you see it up here on the board somewhere, right here. No subtraction or substitution for the Word of God. Revelation 22:19. Again, the Bible closes out with this warning. If any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy in this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Matthew 15, verse 9. Jesus spoke of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, the Jews as a nation. And he said, In vain do they worship me, teaching or doctrine, the commandments of men, you'll not find a more religious people than the Jew. You'll not find a more religious people a lot of times than a Jehovah Witness, or a seven-day Adventist, or a Mormon. But they have knowledge without w- uh, wisdom. They have... Uh, Zeal for knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Thank you. Look look at the Jew in Romans 10 verse 1. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What, Paul? You're saying the Jews aren't saved? That's exactly what he said. I bear them record to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We see a lot of people today that has a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge of this book. And I've explained that this way. I remember being working in an oil refinery. They just started the job, but the inspector hadn't got around to test all of the pipes where it was gonna be working to make sure there wasn't any scent of gasoline because you don't wanna blow the thing to hell. And so we're waiting as a team going in there to modify that plant And here's one young welder that has all kinds of zeal. He's zealous. He wants to get after it and show his employer that he's top-notch. And he goes to light up a torch. Well, we caught him before he lit it up. But you see the point? He had all kinds of zeal, but not according to knowledge because he was about to blow all of us to kingdom come. There's religious groups out here that has very zealous people but not according to the knowledge of this book. Nobody questions their zeal except it doesn't have the knowledge behind it. And so uh, zeal without knowledge is a fool. That boy was honest, but he was a fool. And so God will not stand for substitution or subtraction from his Word. And the Jews were in vain, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Again, getting back to uh, Romans... Was it Romans? 10, verse 1 and 2. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is to might be saved. For I bear in record to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And he explains. He says, For going about to establish their own righteousness they've rejected the righteousness of god rejected the righteousness of god how men got makes god, how god makes men righteous yeah it's exactly what they're doing but very religious and we see that same scene today in many of the denominations of this world that's why you better be smart enough to try the spirits to see whether they are from god because your destiny Is at stake here well let's take that idea a little further in scripture in Galatians 1 verse 6 through 9 that we've already read look at those folks they were adding to Paul said there we looked at a while ago I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that's called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are in heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have received, you have received, let him be accursed. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And so in Deuteronomy 4.2, we're going back to the Old Testament to show the unity between the old and the new and, and the continuity of God's Word and His warnings. Because here we have a severe warning that you, God demands respect for His Word. Deuteronomy 4, 2. Ye shall not add unto the Word which I command you, and neither shall ye diminish from it, that ye may keep the commandments of Jehovah your God which I command you. They were under orders not to dare add to it or take away from it. Well, look what men has done with the gospel of Christ. They warped it and twisted it and perverted it and took it off in all kinds of channels to suit man's wants and needs. That's where instrumental music come from. Oh, that sounds so good to us. That old boy's good on that piano, or that woman's good on the piano, and that old boy's pretty good on the guitar. Where did you ever get the idea we sing uh, for our own uh, beauty? Where would you get that? Because all of us commanded to sing. What about the guy that can't sing, can't carry a note in a bucket? He still commanded to sing with grace in his heart to the Lord. Unto the Lord, not unto you and you and you. Now unto you, you and you, it's for your edification. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3:16. He made it very clear. He said, sing with grace your heart unto the Lord. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, teaching and admonishing one another. When we sang just a few minutes ago, did you learn anything from those songs? They're psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And as we sung them, we were teaching one another valuable truths. So look deep into them songs. Uh. <laughs> Our time's up. I wanted to get in to Old Testament examples of men who perverted, twisted, added to, took away from the Word of God, and they died at the hand of God, the same as you will today. You don't trifle with God. Paul said, our God is a consuming fire. And he wasn't joking in a statement at all. He said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is his world, not yours. Your life belongs to him, whatever he wants to do with it. We get this arrogance about us. I'm really something. You ain't nothing. God will tell you you're nothing but dust on the earth. He's the only one that gives you any worth and any value because he loves you. But you don't trifle with God. You don't sit down like a lot of kids do and make terms with mom and dad. Mom and dad has the authority they'll tell you how it's going to be or they'll bust your little ass that's the way it was designed and that's the way God deals with you and I you want to trifle with God he's a consuming fire (coughs) it's a fearful thing Paul said to fall into the hands of the living God somebody says you're not supposed to fear God well that's strange because that ain't what I read in the scriptures I read in in uh, in Ecclesiastes the last chapter that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of my dad was the beginning of knowledge because when he spoke, I listened. It was the beginning of knowledge. My butt was sure proud of that because he got tired of sending messages to the brain and telling me, quit doing what you're doing up there because you're getting me beat down here. (laughs) So you got your own built-in telegraph key. So, uh, well, we're going to save that for next week, I guess. But here's where we'll start next week, of seeing the respect that God demands for His Word by illustrations and examples out of the Old Testament. You can, read, you can read them on your own, and then next week we'll discuss them a little bit. But Romans 15, 4, Paul said, Whatsoever things are written aforetime in the Old Testament, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Your hope is based on understanding the Old Testament to some extent. It was written for our learning. And we got preachers out here saying, Well, you know, we're not under that covenant, so... There's no need wasting your time studying Old Testament. hogwash. They just called Paul a liar. He said those things written before time were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, Genesis 3, what happened to Adam and Eve? They disobeyed God. They allowed the devil to change just one word in it. God said, Thou shalt surely die. And the devil just added one word as he quoted Scripture. And we got men standing in the pulpits of churches around the community that's quoting Scripture, but adding to it and taking it away from them. The devil said, Has God said, Thou shalt surely die? And Eve said, Yeah. Oh, no, thou shalt not surely die. He just put the word not in there. Changed the whole meaning. But the devil is a Bible quoting preacher. The devil loves the truth when he can pervert it. He has damned the souls of billions of people. Jesus said, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to hell, and many there be enter therein. Well, how's the devil done that? Most of the denomination world does not believe in baptism although the New Testament makes it very clear, crystal clear, if you study it. But the devil comes along and says, oh, it's just a church of Christ doctrine, you know, that water salvation stuff. Well, that ain't the church of Christ doctrine, it's the Lord's teaching. This one who had all authority has all authority. He said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth is baptized should be saved. He that believeth not should be damned. And we got men that perverts that and says, oh, well, you don't need to be baptized. All you've got to do is believe in the Lord. Well, if you believe in the Lord, you do what He said. you would be baptized or you'll be damned. In Luke 13, 3, He said, except you all repent, you shall every one of you perish. Was He whistling Dixie? His Word's going to judge us. You're down here to make a to be tried. The proverb writer said, it's a fearful thing that God has put man to here on the earth to be tried thereby. You're not down here to enjoy Disneyland. Although you can enjoy Disneyland, I've been there and enjoyed it. But that's not your sole purpose. Your purpose is to make a choice of where you're going to spend eternity. And where will that be? You want to giggle and, and have fun and tickle yourself all through life? And enjoy the fantasies? You better wake up and smell the coffee. You're living in a real world. And like the writer said, it's a fearful thing God has put man to here on the earth to be exercised thereby. Now, I've never seen a soldier that badmouthed boot camp. Because it was a training process and a training period to prepare him for the ultimate battle. And that's what the scriptures are for, is to train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. And he'll have respect for God's word. Well, there's many examples. We'll save them for next week. Uh, I think we will. (laughs) I'm not going to go into any more. But... Let me leave you with one passage. If you got a pen, write it down. If you don't, I'll definitely loan you mine. Acts 20, verse 32. Paul, as he left Ephesus after being there for three years, teaching and admonishing those people, he left them under a charge to take charge of the things that was needed there. He told the elders, Take heed unto yourselves and unto the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you to be overseers. You feed the church of God, which God purchased with God's blood. His God had died at Calvary. His name was Jesus Christ. But in verse 32, when he left Asia Minor, he told them, Brethren, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them that are saved. The yours. So what are we waiting for? Let's stand and sing the invitation song.
1: Swiftly we're turning life's daily pay.